here we are in uh, a portable recording studio, otherwise known as Kitty Corkwell's car. If you hear the pitter-patter of rain, uh, that's because it's raining. Uh, we're in Bristol. Uh, Katie's got a, a show tonight. What's the what's the show tonight? You're on. It's part. It's a kind of cabaret storytelling performance called "Women Who Gave No Fucks," and I'm yeah, I'm excited. Okay, a bit nervous. I, you know, I have to it. click the little box in my podcast thing that says um, it has has that kind of Obscenity. language. <laughs> there we are. Which actually, if I suddenly get more listeners as a result, yes, I might actually insist that people do. Device. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to, to be obscene, honestly. We're here to talk about the Mabinogion because uh, I have a guest here who is pretty much as obsessed with the Mabinogion as I am. Um, Katie, could you tell me what first drew you to these strange, wonderful and peculiar stories? Yes, yeah, so I was I was thinking back at sort of when I encountered the Mabinogion first in my life. And, uh, and it was really thanks to my brother in childhood because he was more into mythology than I was growing up and he had a beautifully illustrated version of Kilach and Olwen uh, so that was the that was the part of the Mabinogion I came across first and uh, and I remember actually being on a holiday with him in Scotland and the two of us um, kind of creating our own strange band of characters uh, sort of in, in, in imitation of the the band that goes with Kulach. Um so yeah, I was very taken by the the, the bizarreness of oh. it then. I think, and then I I I came to the four branches um, when I was in my last year at university, and uh, I went to um, my first storytelling retreat at Tanuith, run by Hugh Lupton and Eric Madden, which was was concerning the four branches, uh, and. Yes, I was really, I, I was captivated by by the material, which I, I hadn't come across those stories before. Um, and I think, I think the branch that drew me in first was the the third branch, uh-huh. and and the, the those four characters together: Rhiannon, Manawyddan, Pryderi, Kigva, and the kind of complexity of the relationships mm. between them. And I felt this is. This is so different from from any other story I've I've come across so far. Uh, and, I, yeah. I'm just wondering when when was the moment then when from going from interest in the stories to actually I'm going to tell it. Yeah. So so that uh, that week at Tanuith was. Uh, was uh, you know really formative for me. I um, Hugh and Eric did this thing where we we drew characters that we were going to work with, and I actually drew Bloodyworth. Mm. Uh, but there was a woman there who really really wanted to work <laughs> with Bloodyworth, so I said I don't mind, I'll swap. And she gave me Rhiannon, and that so that began my journey with this story. That uh, you know that twenty two years later I am still telling and finding you know finding more in it um so it was a really intense week and I loved telling her story but then it sort of sat with me for a few years afterwards and I didn't tell it and then the opportunity came up to develop a new piece and I thought that's what I want that's what I want to go back to and that's what I want to work on more um and yes it I think that it it had just not gone away it had just Mm. been sitting in within me for a while and and um, yes, and then then there was the opportunity to to so, go back and create and how did something you, with it. How did you approach the material? 
when it, when the time came to actually, oh, I'm not going to utter <laughs> exactly. this. I'm going to stand on a stage and do it. What next? Do this. Um, so the work that went into that, um, it, you know, I, I did spend some time in Wales seeking out the the, the places and um, and the hill in in particular. I wanted to find a hill that. That, you know that made sense for me it's the the place in the story where mm. these extraordinary things happen um but I also spent a lot of time with the text itself and reading reading around it and I, I and there was and I mean the other thing that really drew me was the was the complexity of the narrative and the holes in the narrative and the scope there was for um was for, for sort of pulling a single thread out of it that would that would in some way um, make sense to me as a, as a way that I wanted to tell the story. Uh, and, I, and I remember um, in a library coming across a very slim volume um, by a, an academic in the 1950s called um, Griffith, I think, called An Inquiry into the First and Third Branches of the Mabinogion, uh, which were exactly the, the, the pieces I was working on. And that really... Um, yeah, really transformed things. Um, he he sort of looked at the different uh, folktale motifs in the branches and sort of speculated, postulated what um, you know what the stories that lay behind the written text that we have might have been, how they might have been told, how they might have come together. And I thought, wow, if an academic can do this, then mm. you know that gives me the freedom really to. Um, to go back and try and rework this material and um and and yeah try and pull it together in a slightly different way and so that was that was very exciting and i think and i think that um yeah that was that was my in way in really trying to trying to create a um a narrative that would uh, what that about work. the process in the rehearsal room how did that go because you worked with the musician yes. didn't you no, no, I didn't. Uh, no, it was, that was a solo piece. It was right, a festival yes, yes, at the edge yes, commission yes, yes. originally. Um, and did I, you, do you work know, with the director at all? Did you? No, it was it was just me. And I was a very young storyteller. Was, I mean, it was a very uh, kind of significant moment for me in my career. I think uh, to uh. get given this commission, and then through this show, I became much better known. I think, and I um, I don't really remember the rehearsal process so much i remember i remember doing these walks in west wales and um I, you know ideas coming to me or, or sort of seeing things in the landscape um i don't have a clear memory of of <laughs> rehearsing back home i i do have a memory of i had as part of the commission i had to take it to the festival committee mm. and do a sort of run through a few months before the festival um and I, yeah, I remember doing that, and that you know that kind of first feedback from a first audience, um, which is and it's always so utterly different, isn't it, when mm. you kind of step out of telling it to yourself or recording it to the tape recorder, and then um, and then telling it to you know to real live people. Um, but but no, I don't I don't really remember back then. <laughs> the what was the biggest challenge do you think of working on that on that material? I think there was a challenge uh, for me just to 
to make it to make it make sense to make it hang together that in a way that I could believe everything that was was happening in the story uh, it has to be said the the Welsh pronunciation was a challenge it's still a challenge and um you know I'm not Welsh I've never lived in Wales so it's, I you know I'm very conscious that I don't have that same uh, personal connection in some ways so so that is that has always been a challenge um it was interesting actually when I um I have told it in Wales a couple of times and I felt you know a kind of uncomfortable or awkward about that in some ways um you know feeling this, is this really my material to, to tell to work with um but then I've also told it abroad at international festivals and then you know the the Britishness it's part of the matter of Britain and it feels very much this is this is a story that I can tell in that context so it's sort of interesting in the uh, depending on what what frame there is to it what about the um unexpected serendipity joyful moments uh within the story yeah, and mean, also your the... your experience of telling it and working on it yes yeah that well there was um uh there was a wonderful moment when i was so as i said i was i was going in search of a hill that would work for me as the hill in the story and I, and I think there's there's some you know there's not a fixed place that everyone agrees is the Gorseth Arbor mm. there's sort of various um, possibilities and I went and looked at these places and I thought this is not quite doing it for me and I I ended up going back to um, Carningley mm. uh, where I'd actually been when I was six years old on a family holidays mm -hmm. my father was making a little experimental film there and I and I came back there and walking up I just thought yes this this is this is how what I imagine this place where the sort of it slopes away in every direction there's this sort of um, jagged rock at the top and sitting on the top thinking about that part of the story there was suddenly this extraordinary um, kind of atmospheric effect of not a mist, but a kind of a haze and the sun mm. shining off the haze. And the, uh, it, the the landscape below really did disappear for a while. Uh, and, mm. that, and that was just, um, that was just extraordinary, actually, that moment. Uh, and then later on that day, after I'd walked down the hill and I was walking through some woods, um, I had a kind of moment of realizing which i often talk about at the beginning of the the piece of of you can you can walk through a wood and if the sunlight's shining in from one side if you look one way and then the other way you get totally different pictures you know there's the the pale bark on the dark mm. sky or the dark trees silhouette against the light and yet you're you're there in one place and i it just seemed to suddenly make sense to me how you could have this world and this yeah. other world and they're somehow the same place and not the same place and um, and and Rhiannon and the others passing between them um, yeah it just made suddenly made sense to me in the, in that moment so. that is a challenge in these stories isn't it is how you get the other world in there Mm. Um, because it, it's the other world is not this airy fairy world. It's a, it's tangible, yeah, it's, and people go there and concrete. do things. Yeah, um, but it's getting that border, the the frontier between the two, and I think that's a very interesting and mm. subtle thing you just you just drew on there. Katie Corkwell, that's been absolutely fascinating. Thank mm. you so much. You're welcome. Good to talk to you.